pastor here at the Brook, and it is great to be here this morning with you. So if you have your Bible, open to Luke chapter 3. We just had it read to us, but I'm going to duplicate. Um, when you play sports, um, if you're a sports person, ever played sports, little league, whatever, coaches have you do things over and over and over again. And it gets boring. It gets boring. It's like, hey, what's the new drill? What's the new thing? But one of the reasons they have you do that is because they want you to get to a place where you just do it because you know it. And one of the challenges I am confronted with daily, daily, is getting in this word and doing what it says because I know it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, how y'all know that? Huh? Somebody taught you it. Somebody sang it to you. So let's look at God's word again one more time. Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them, all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all. He then locked up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I love this story and this scripture. I love where we have been tracking over these last few weeks in this narrative and I think it's amazing that here we are today in a story that if you're not careful, you're going to try and get caught up in some details and figure out how does that apply to my life and where, does, where do I fit in and is this good or am I feeling all right or am I not feeling right? Is it going to make me feel right? And in the midst of this, you're going to miss this miraculous, powerful story of Jesus. You're going to miss that in God's sovereignty, that he sent his son. You're going to miss that, hey, uh, religion is for everybody. And religion is kind of like, you know, it's, 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 it's religion. If you, if you do the right things and if it goes right, you're, you're going to get to heaven. 
And you're going to miss that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because here's the one thing I know about religion. Religion kills. Religion kills. Religion will take you to a place. It will make you tired. It will break you. And it will give you nothing. But you'll feel better about yourself because you're religious. As a matter of fact, religious people usually compare themselves to other people. And in our story today, there's a couple of characters I want us to see. As a matter of fact, I would title today's message, Who Are You? Who are you? And there's three characters that I want us to look at, and I'm going to make a couple of observations along the way based out of the scripture. But we're going to ask the question as we look at these three, three characters, who are they? Who are these three people? So first of all, I want us to look at the first character, and we see this first character in the first few verses. This first character we call John the baptizer, or we call John. And notice what it says in verses 15 through 18. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. If you're an underliner or a highlighter, I encourage you to mark up your Bible right there and underline that because this is super important. Because I would say that the first thing we need to see and deal with in today's scripture and answering the question, who is John? And maybe at the end, we're going to come back and answer the question, who are you? Is expectations. Expectations. See, John was in the middle of nowhere preaching a gospel of repentance. He was saying, listen, I don't know what you guys have been doing. I don't know where you're from, but it's time to repent. And he's in the middle of nowhere doing this. And by the way, he's not doing this just for the Jews. He's doing this for the Gentile. Man, go back and go to YouTube and watch the sermon from last Sunday. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. Amazing sermon. I was watching it yesterday in between football games. It was really awesome. You know, a couple guys score a touchdown, and then I watched the sermon, you know. And the sermon was better than the football games, a few of them. And I love how our pastor laid that out last week. But expectations. The expectations that the, that the Jew could come and he could repent and the expectations that the Roman soldier could come and repent. And I love what our pastor did last week. He said, listen, when we are truly in repentance, it's not that God is going to not make us anymore a soldier or make us anymore a Jew. He wants us to make us the best soldier or the best at whatever you do. Expectations. It says, and the people, as the people were in their expectations and all were questioning their hearts, considering John, whether he might be the Christ. I love this scripture because I think it shows the character of the heart of John. You know, John's an amazing character. I don't know if you've done much study about many people in the Bible. I think John is totally underrated. When you read about him, he goes in the middle of nowhere. He's got this unbelievable, I think, soul train outfit. 
you know, he's kind of wearing this awesome camel leather coat. And I envision he's got some cool 70s belt buckle. He's got the most amazing high-rise shoes I've ever seen. And I've seen some amazing platform shoes back in the day. Back in the day, University of Miami, 1970. I'm a kid playing basketball at the pickup court. There goes the University of Miami Hurricanes. At that time, they weren't that good. But they go by, and I knew who some of them were because I had followed them and all that. And the one goes, guy goes by walking by with his platform shoes. They were acrylic and they had a goldfish in them. Oh, man, that's John the baptizer. He's in the middle of nowhere. He's doing his own thing. And he is out there, and he knows who he is. Not only does John know who he is, he also knows who he's not. We read that verse right there, and they say that the people had expectations. Some translations said that he might be the Messiah, some translations say Christ the Messiah. Here, here's the challenge. John was not the Messiah. John was the one that was tasked with going before the Messiah. He had a job to do. He had a privilege. He had an opportunity. He was told to go in the middle of nowhere and preach repentance. He didn't get it twisted. He didn't get confused. He didn't lose his way. He did what he was supposed to do. He had one job, and he did it. And he did it well. How do we know that he did it well? Because the people are like, they're looking at him, and they're saying, hey, this guy's doing a good job, but now it's time for him to do something else. It's time for him to be the Christ. And John, he stepped up. He stepped up to the mic, and he answered, their expectations. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the, th the, th the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn with an unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. See, the expectations of the people were, hey, this guy's doing a good job. He's out here. Man, some crazy stuff is happening. This isn't the best location. He probably should have been closer to Jerusalem. I wonder if he's got the right Instagram account. I wonder if people really know what's going on out here. And he is in the middle of nowhere telling people to repent. So they say, are you the Christ? He says, no, I'm not the Christ. One who's coming after me is this. And then he makes this statement. He says, he who's coming is mightier than I. Listen, I may come back at the end and hit this, but I can't let it go because it's right here. The challenge for you and I today is that sometimes we don't know who we are and we want to step in to help it happens in the church. Because I'm going to tell you, God didn't call you to a platform. God called you to salvation. And God is always wanting to do a new thing in us, which is so amazing. We would say, God wants to do a new thing in us. But when God starts to work in us, most of us look around the room and figure out what everybody else is doing. And we just run to them and act just like them. And, and if all of us is acting like each other, dressing like each other, talking like each other, cutting our hair like each other, wearing the same kind of clothes, wearing the same kind of shoes, doing the same kind of stuff, 
What, what, what powerful and almighty creative God do we have? We don't have to be unified in our talents and abilities. We're just unified in who our Father is. And John the Baptist, man, he, he was confident. He wasn't confident in himself. He wasn't the most educated guy. The guy never even went to seminary. He wouldn't even know who Josephus is. Let me tell you a story just real quick. Back in the day, married my girl, told her, hey, we gotta move, we gotta go to seminary. Go to seminary, go to the first seminary party. I was pretty excited. A lot of married couples in there. Within a few minutes, I knew I was in the wrong room. So there was these guys and they were talking and I tried to step up, you know, and I was like trying to say, hey, you know, let me tell you something about Jesus. And they were talking about it. And the one guy said, hey, uh, according to Josephus, and I kind of opened my mouth and inserted my foot and I said, who's Josephus? And at that time he was like, well, uh, surely you haven't studied the Old Testament writings of the Jewish people. So after that, I felt pretty deflated. So a few moments later, I was kind of mad, and I corralled another guy. And we went over to the corner, and they had a Cheetos bowl. And we just decided that at that point, let's have a contest and see how many Cheetos we could put in our nose. And about that time, I looked over, my wife saw me, and uh, yeah, that was the end of that party. But, but I say all that to say, man, we're spending so much time worrying about wh what people think or, or how much they know or what they do. And John knew who he was. Praise God he knew who he was. Because the challenge is, is there's too many messiahs. And the Bible says, there's one. And his name is Jesus. Listen, if you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders today, and you're trying to be a messiah, let it go. If you're trying to measure up to somebody else's standard, let it go. The only first standard you have to measure up is the standard of Jesus. Measuring up to standards will always take you back to religion. And it will kill you. So I love that it says that John said, One of the mighty is me is coming, and I'm not unworthy to untie his sandal. I love that actually untie his sandal because here's the thing. John not only knows who he is, but he knows what he's supposed to be doing. And then he says, listen, what I'm supposed to be doing isn't even a big deal because it's not even such a big deal that I, I, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandal. Now, now, here's the deal. If you study Jewish, Jewish history and you study a little bit about the, the rabbi, the rabbi had the right to ask any of his disciples to do anything. But the one thing a rabbi would never ask his disciple to do was to untie a shoe. Back in those days, they didn't have streets. There's animals. You get the picture. Everybody's feet are pretty nasty, okay? And actually, they would hire a slave to actually wash your feet and untie your shoes and actually and historically we're told that the Jewish servants and slaves wouldn't even do that now John didn't say he wouldn't do it he just said he wasn't worthy and of course you go to John's gospel right before Jesus goes to the cross for your sins and for my sins Jesus takes off his outer garment and he wraps himself with a towel and he washes the disciples' feet. 
And let me tell you something, that lamb was worthy. So I love the expectations. I love the expectations that are not being met, and I love the expectations that are being met. Do you realize that sometimes when you and I don't meet expectations, it's a good thing? Now, it may not be a good thing in your family and marriage. If you don't meet those expectations, you may need to get those straight. But you've got to know who you are. Jesus would say this later about John in Luke in the seventh chapter. I tell you, among those born a woman, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John knew who he was. But there's a second thing I want us to see today. As the people were in expectation of all questioning their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but one is coming mightier than me, comes who strap a sandal. I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says, listen, this is who I am, this is who I'm not, and this is what I'm doing, but get it straight. There's one coming that will do baptism. And not do baptism per se as baptizing people, but the baptism you'll receive him will be of the spirit and fire. Now, it's interesting in this text, if you're reading, you'll notice there's three baptisms that are already going. There's John, he's baptizing in water, and his is a baptism of repentance. So basically what it is, is it's a demonstration. It's a ceremonial cleaning. But the problem is for the Jews, that's all it meant. And, and John's trying to move them beyond ceremonial cleaning. Jews would have known, hey, in order to go to the temple, I got to do this. In order to do this, I got to do this. And by the way, the difference between the Jew and the Gentile, the Jew, all they had to do was go through ceremony and cleaning, and they could do X, Y, and Z. For the Gentile to do it, they had to do three things. It's like a list. You got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, and then you can go be ceremony and clean. And John says, listen, there's a guy coming after me. And when he comes, he will baptize you with the spirit and with fire. Oh, man, I wish we had time, and man, we'll have to come back some point. But there's two things I want you to see. The spirit is life, and the fire is judgment. And I think we struggle with this, right? Like, we struggle. Like, here we go, God, now we're, we kind of talked a little bit about repentance, but Tim didn't hit it very hard, and now we're talking about fire and judgment. And actually, we just went to judgment when we could be talking about life. But here's the challenge. There never is going to be life if there's not judgment. And if there's not a fire, there's not a purification. Listen, we don't want to go through the fires of life. We don't. But we're thankful that Jesus is there and gives us life. He said he's coming and he will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. I can't help but think of John's scripture where he says that Jesus is the perfect balance of truth and grace. See, we all want grace, but grace is cheap without truth. And we all don't mind truth as long as there's some opportunities for grace. There's a second piece that tags on with that. 
is notice what it says. Not only is the one coming that will baptize you in spirit and with fire, but he says he's got a winnowing fork in his hand. Now, listen, I did a search on Amazon, and a winnowing fork did not come up. So I don't know if you guys are, it might be, I don't know if Home Depot's got it or Lowe's has got it, but a winnowing fork, I mean, by the way, I'm a big fan of the Oxnard, which is kind of a similar tool. You do a little study in the Old Testament. Man, an Oxnard is a, it's actually a man's, like, a, yeah, it's, it's rough, rough, you know, kind of a tool, kind of a thing. But here's the thing about a winnowing fork. A winnowing fork is basically a stick. It looks like a rake at the end, but it's also got a little bit of a scoop in there. And what you did is when it comes harvest time, you actually just take all the harvest and just put it in one place. So the seeds in there, you know, the chaff's in there, the stems are in there, but you actually take this fork and you kind of scoop it up and then you just like, you throw it up in the air. And the interesting thing is the chaff and the other stuff, it just kind of dust in the wind, you know, kind of an eagle song kind of a thing, you know. And it's just kind of just spews everywhere, but the good stuff falls right there on the floor. And then what they do later is they come and take all the stuff that doesn't matter and they just kind of, kind of push it all like a broom and they just burn it up because it's useless. And John is telling us not only is one that's coming the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but the one that's coming will baptize with life and will have judgment, but also that he has a winnowing for it which is incredible to think because like we're thinking about a king, like if a king shows up, a king's got like, you know, like the scepter in his hand. He's got authority, he's got power. And John's saying, no, John the Baptist, Jesus is gonna show up and he's got the winnowing fork in his hand because he's able to separate the good, the real from the faith. You know, I spent a little time with my niece yesterday. It was really awesome. She's 20. She had a birthday, and my wife and I spent a little time. We took her to brunch, and uh, we were spending time with her. You know, it's awesome talking to a 20-year-old, and we were all over the roadmap, and at some point, we drifted into social media, and that was awesome. And in the midst of that, she made this great comment. She said, you know, it's, it's crazy, isn't it, Tim? Uncle Tim, all this stuff. She said, you know, even if you think about a person like you because you're just so ordinary, And I was like, that is stinking awesome. Because I am ordinary. But I am so valuable and important to Jesus. And you are too. See, we don't get the expectations right. We don't know who we are. We don't understand the task that we're doing. It's not maybe the, what we think is the main tax, task. You know, in church, you know what, what we do sometimes? You know what we think is the most important thing in church? Is the preaching. It's your heart. It's your heart. See, John was the guy that was desirous to point the people to Jesus and help them to see that he was not the Messiah and a Messiah was coming and he was doing whatever he could to not only prepare them for the Messiah, but to make it crystal clear who the Messiah is. Tough question for you and I, are we making it clear to those around us who the Messiah is? 
spend the rest of this last few verses and we'll move quickly here. To verses 18 through 20. Notice what it says. So with many exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him and for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all. And he locked John up in prison. If I had one word to describe this, I'd call it outrage. Because here's the challenge about today's scripture. Sometimes when we know who we are and we're in the right place and doing the right thing, we seem to get outraged when things don't go our way. And by the way, Herod was a bad man and not in a good sense. Some commentators say that not only did Herod steal his brother's wife, but actually not only was he the wife of his brother, but it was his niece. So there's all kind of craziness going on in that thing. And it's crazy because it says in these scriptures, it says that, so with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him. Well, the crazy thing is if you're in control of all Jerusalem and you're the main guy and you got all the money, you got all the power, you got all that. And by the way, where's John? He's not on Main Street, Jerusalem. He's out at the Jordan in the middle of nowhere. So my boy is rolling all the way out there to hear something because he wants to have his ears tickled. But the problem is, is when he gets out there and he hears what's going on, he feels judged and condemned. And even the story, we don't get the full story here, but you go to the other gospels, we read that not only was it Herod the Tetrarch that was really mad, but it was his wife that was mad. And later on, she tells her daughter to do a dance, which, by the way, that is X-rated stuff. I will just move on right there real quick. But basically, Herod says, well, hey, I'll give you whatever you want because that dance was crazy. And then all of a sudden, she says, because Mama done told her, hey, I want John the baptizer's head. outrage it's not fair why me God I did what you told me to do I went where you told me to go I am who you said I should be and John doesn't do that as a matter of fact the only person that's really outraged is Herod and you know why Herod's outraged because he doesn't know who he is they called Herod the king of the Jews obviously he's not a very good Jew You know why Herod put John in prison? Because he was actually scared. He was a gutless leader. He'd actually heard that if he did anything to John, the people would get mad and they'd have a riot. So you know what he did? He just put him in jail for a while, just let that story cool down and make things change up and so that he didn't have to deal with it. So here's where we finish today. Verses 21 through 22. So notice we've talked about expectations, we've talked about outrage, and now I want to talk about pleasure. And that's what verses 21 through 22 say. And now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, 
and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now this is an interesting thing because here's Jesus and now he is going to be baptized. So let's get a couple things straight. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. Jesus didn't sin and Jesus didn't need to repent of anything. But the interesting thing about Jesus is Jesus knows who he is. You see, we need to ask a question then, who are you? And sometimes we read stories and we don't really line it up and say, well, why did he do that? Or what's going on there? Or, or really, even too honestly, sometimes we don't ask the question who Jesus is. We, we know this about Jesus. We know this about Jesus. We know this about Jesus. And we just stop when there's so much to know about Jesus each and every day. More and more and more and more. When you talk, when you read a couple of commentators, the commentators say that one of the neatest things about Jesus' baptism is he's demonstrating that Jesus is all in. And literally, he was in. Like he went down into the river and was baptized to demonstrate that it was for repentance but later for new believers, it'll become a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection. See, the baptism actually not only had present ramifications, not only did it have future ramifications, but it also was going to become a symbol that if you are here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're following him, your next step is to follow in baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. It's not magic, but it's symbolic. It's symbolic of obedience. It's symbolic of God's great plan that God even in the beginning said, hey, I'm going to make straight the way for my son who is me. I'm going to put on flesh and dwell among him, and I'm going to send him to the earth. He's going to live a perfect life. He's going to die on a cross. He'll be buried in a grave, and on the third day he'll rise again. And when people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and they take that next step to identify with believer's baptism, it's just like a wedding ring. It's just like a wedding ring. My wedding ring cost $19.99 at Laurier's. I don't even think they make Laurier's anymore. It was almost like a catalog store. We had a coupon. My wife said it was $29.99. I know she'll correct me when I get home, but it was $19.99. But here's the deal, 35 years right there, but all it is is a symbol. I'm still married if I got it on or if I don't, but I want to testify that I'm married. Just like baptism testifies, I know who I am not. I'm not the Messiah. Say it's pretty humbling to be baptized. Man, I've seen them baptized in all ages, all shapes, all sizes, everything. And you know what the cool thing about baptism is? They go into the waters and they confess, listen, I am a sinner. I am here today confessing Jesus Christ as my Lord, Master, and Savior. So I'm going to be buried with Christ, raised to walk, which only can happen by what? Baptism by the... Oh, now see, so y'all went to sleep on me. Baptism by what? Spirit. Because the Spirit takes dead men and makes them alive. And you go into a baptistry, you go into a pool, you go into a U-Haul truck, dead. 
Yeah, you may be walking and talking, but you're dead spiritually. And religion won't rebirth you. So Jesus is baptized. But there's a second thing I don't want you to miss in the middle of this because I missed it a thousand times. Notice what it says. Jesus also had been baptized. And then notice what it says. And was, what's it say? He was praying. He was praying. I think I've read that scripture a million times and missed that every time. He was praying. You know, Luke records Jesus praying more than any other gospel in the New Testament. I did a count. I could be off. You want to fact check me? Let me know. I'm willing to grow, be rebuked, challenged, or not challenged, but grow. Um, um, Eight times in the gospel of Luke. It mentions Jesus praying. And by the way, there's other mentions of prayer in Luke's gospel, but that Jesus is praying eight times. And I thought it was interesting that he was praying. And as he's praying, which is crazy, he's praying. Of course, he's God. It says that the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven the voice of God, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus hears from God this, that you are my son. Kind of takes us back to Isaiah 42, where in Isaiah he says that you will be my beloved son. And not only does Jesus hear that, but guess who else hears it? You and I, because here we are 2,000 years later and we're talking about this scene at the Jordan River. This scene of Jesus being baptized. But here's where I get the last part. It says, with you, I am well pleased. I love that God speaks over his son, Jesus, who is God. And by the way, we have the Holy Spirit there, so we see the whole Trinity thing going, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in one scene, all in one scripture, all in one place. And he says, I am well pleased. Here's a challenge for you. What would it look like tomorrow Give yourself grace today. And by the way, there's grace tomorrow too. But what would it look like if tomorrow you would start your day by praying and asking the Father, what would bring pleasure to him? Listen, you're saying, hey, Tim, I got a lot to pray about. I got bills. I got kids. I got this. I got this. I got this. Listen, no hate in the game, no critiquing of your prayer life, no challenging or anything. But what if the first thing was, Father, what would bring pleasure to you? Because here's the one thing. I think if you would pray that prayer, I think you would hear by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord speaking to you, I am well pleased with you. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you're walking with him and he knows you and you know him and you're with him and you're not perfect but you're perfect in Christ, 
Jesus paid it all, all to him. I owe sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I think you would hear the father say, I am well pleased. So here's how we end today. Our pastor a couple weeks ago started a piece that he calls The Grid. And it's just meant to give us just kind of like a concluding place to hang a few things. The grid's built on this kind of ideal of perspective, practice, and picture. Perspective, practice, and picture. So for the grid today, the perspective, I want to encourage you, stop worrying about everyone and stay focused on God's mission for you. Stop worrying about everyone else and stay focused on God's mission for you. And for practice this week, Spend more time in prayer than listening to the voice of the world. Turn your cell phones off. As my niece would say, you're just an ordinary person. And then picture. And this is huge. If I could encourage us today, I really believe that this would be awesome if we could believe this and live this and do this and encourage each other when we're not. But picture yourself seeking the pleasure of the Lord this Advent season and beyond. Seeking the pleasure pleasure of the Lord this Advent season and beyond. Matthew 6.33 wraps it up this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Dear God, I just pray that today you would be glorified. I pray that you would be alive in our lives and our hearts and that we would receive you, that we would be thankful for you, that we would live for you, that we would trust you, that we would follow you, that we would know you. God, I'm so thankful that you know us and that you love us and that you care about us and that you came for us. And God, I just pray today, if there's somebody here that doesn't have a personal relationship with you today, I pray today would be the day they take a step forward. I pray they'd realize that they they don't know who they are and that they would hear you say that you love them and you care for them and you desire to be with them and you want for them to be known by you and that you want to forgive them, you want to cleanse them, and you want to help them to follow you, that you did it all. So God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will take these words. I pray you will take this scripture. God, I pray you will help us to stop comparing ourselves to others. Stop trying to seek platforms. And just believe that your assignment, that your place that you've called us to is enough. So God, would you do this by your word, by your power, and by your great strength. Would you do this by the power of the Holy Spirit? And we pray all this in Jesus' name.